Electricast. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save $1 each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest, Dr. Ian D. Brooks, to the show today. Dr. Brooks is the chief executive and founder of Rhodes Smith Consulting. He's been leading people and organizations through the process of inter- intentional transformation for 24 years. Dr. Brooks' clients include Netflix, Nike, Shondaland, Sony, Warner Brothers, IBM, Bank of America, Kaiser Permanente, Shalom, the Department of Interior, and their executives. With a PhD in industrial organizational psychology from Marshall Goldsmith School of Management at Alliant International University and a master's in clinical psychology from Auburn University at Montgomery, Dr. Brooks combines scientific approach and practical application to personal development and organization change. He received his Bachelor of Science degree from Morehouse College. Dr. Brooks cherishes helping people move incrementally towards sustained achievements with a special focus on technical transformation, leadership development, coaching people of color and women for expanded roles and and, and assisting individuals to act with intent. He's the author of the book, Intention, Building capabilities to transform your story. Intention integrates research, practical experience, and personal journey, guiding readers towards introspection and action. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Dr. Brooks to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Wonderful and happy to be here. I appreciate you coming on to talk about your book and to talk about your experience, because one of the things for me that's very important is to give individuals I work with guidance on how to transform and change in a way that's meaningful in their lives right. and it gives them the ability to harness the harness their full potential. And so I wanted to ask you what motivated you to write your book intention? Sure. It's a, it's a great question. I think it's a great place for us to start. Um, you know, I, I strove to write a book that spoke to the essence of what change was. Um, the content is intended, no pun intended to really reflect what we tend to avoid oftentimes, and what we need to start to consider when we start going through the transformational process. Um, 
it's a balancing of that internal desire to just get through something versus establishing that foundation. Um, and I'm really slow about saying foundation because the one thing that we oftentimes forget and skate over, because throughout my coaching experience and working with clients in a 24-hour lockdown ward to working with leaders in organizations to just work with people off the street going through any change, I found that they often struggle with having a strong foundation of two areas. One, being of self. The second one through discovery of really what were they solving for? And third, and ultimately, how could they ultimately sustain their particular changes? And through that, I really started to garner and just write down and jot down the themes that really were embarking on that path and that journey through change. As I mentioned, um, we often start off going through change by avoiding um, a lot of things we swept underneath the rug. Um, we start by focusing on the external pieces versus our internal needs um, or our own internal need just to get through something so fast that we don't have the right support and infrastructure put in place. So really, this book was a, a, a guide and acts as a guide to reestablish and refocus people in an in authentic way to who they are and as important, integrating the behaviors into their day-to-days so that um, it can be sustained long-term. I want to ask you this. I was looking at your book, and one of the things I, I was looking at first to ask you is, what do you believe is the greatest ability of humans? Yeah, I think our greatest ability is to evolve. It's the one thing, um, in my perspective, that does not take into consideration where you're born in the world, doesn't taking into consideration how much money you make. It happens with or without your consent. Um, we are promised one thing in this world, and that is to, or two things, and that is to live and to die and to die. We will get old. <laughs> we cannot stop that regardless of what we try. I know oftentimes we hear the adage that we only guarantee two things, death and taxes. Well, technically speaking, you don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> you really don't in certain areas of the world. But the one thing that goes by with or without a law, with or without a job, and that is our ability to evolve. It's something that's actually started off when through our abilities through evolution in time. As you think about, as we think about Willie Mammoth, as we think about uh, Homo sapiens and our own evolution of dragging our knuckles to being being able to stand straight up to, you know, even the food products of which we eat now making people, you know, taller. You start to see an evolution of how our, our bone structure, people living longer, et cetera. Evolution is one thing that will always be there for us, with or without us. And as such, while I'm describing evolution from a passive perspective, when it comes to transforming our own stories, we're now empowering ourselves to harness that evolution, harness the very activity which we're born to do, but now taking control over what is it that I want to achieve? In this case, living a better life and being the best person I can be. I find it sometimes it's hard, and this comes from me personally, to get past our own limitations within ourselves. And I wanted to ask you, when you're looking at everything that you've studied about human potential and our ability to achieve things, how do you, how do you deal with people who have a really tough time getting past their own perceived limitations? And what would you suggest to someone who has that kind of an issue? Yes, it's something that I think we all struggle with at some point in time in our lives. Um, such um, reservation, such limiting thoughts often keep us comfortable comfortable to where we are. 
And as such, it's going back to that own evolution, right? We've evolved from a, a sense of safety of what's right. So if we direct that um, thinking and taking it back to how we've grown up as from kids into adulthood, as children, we're learning by observation of how to survive through yeah. crying because we couldn't talk, just modeling people's behaviors because we don't really know what else to do. We're just following the crowd. And as such, when we start to now embark upon something that's different, something that has been uh, now uh, challenging our own infrastructure, challenging our own environments defined by our people, places, and things, things that have all the while told us that we were safe, that we were good, and now trying to do something else, it's just natural that we have now thoughts or even our behaviors to now drive us back to what's been comfortable. So to that uh, question of what do I tell someone in that particular lens of what to do and potentially what to be mindful of? And I'm very conscious of the word mindful because I can't tell anyone what to do. <laughs> I can't tell anyone how to feel. What I can say is be mindful of when they're going through this process of being placed back into the box of where they've been currently living. What I do tell them is to be conscious. Be conscious of what you're trying to achieve and what your true priority and purpose moving forward is. With such clarity, it also implies and suggests being conscious of how we're feeling and the emotional toll that changes do take on us because our changes are gonna draw us back to from an emotional perspective, a la anxiety, a la fear, a la that voice in our head that says, no, 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 trying to bring us back to what we know to be comfortable because we've been successful in this place already. Just being conscious of those thoughts, because let's be clear, number one, they're not wrong. They're there for your survival and they've served a purpose. But also let's be clear to the second point. Just because they've served a purpose to one point doesn't mean they need to serve a purpose moving forward. It's that acknowledgement that says, you know what? Yes, thank you for that thought. Thank you for that emotion of what am I feeling and just owning it, right? It's not to deter it in any respect. It is to say, just own it. But it also means that I don't have to act on it. I don't have, I can act and choose to do something different. So when I'm talking to my clients and when they, when I intentionally put them in places or identify places where they're going to try new behaviors, I do ask them to be conscious about it. Because one, going back to the title of the book, Intention, it's about building a capability, finding situations to try it, being vulnerable, but also acknowledging how we're going to be vulnerable from our actions, our thoughts, and how we're feeling. But that takes us being conscious. Secondly, just own that consciousness. Own what comes up, acknowledge it, and see how it fits into you doing something different and the priority you've set. And now just make the choice to do or not do. Either way, you're still empowered, but just recognize that you are making that conscious choice at that moment. How do you view harnessing our natural capabilities to become the best version of ourselves? Yeah, I view it as a extremely important. Um, when I think about harnessing our greatest capability from an evolution standpoint, it's about choice. It's empowering ourselves to have a conscious awareness of what we're doing. As I talked about earlier, evolution in and of itself is a very passive experience. It's going to happen with or without our consent. But we're actually making a decision to do something different. 
we harness our greatest ability because we're just naturally built to evolve. We're built to learn. We're built to test out. We're built to move forward. Now it's taking that idea and now applying it to something else, consciously, intentionally. More specifically, we're tying it to behaviors of what am I going to now do consistently different? That also means what am I willing to let go of my past? And harnessing that. Again, evolution, we never go back. <laughs> we, never, we don't pick up things. We just take the best of, again, for survival. Again, just from a passive experience perspective. But now when we're doing it consciously, we are going to have to pick up new behaviors and make new decisions. And in that respect, we're also going to have to be able to let some things go. Harnessing that ability of choice, harnessing that ability of new direction, harnessing the ability of evolution, both in our mind, body, and soul to move us forward. That is very conscious. And oftentimes, it is something that we often miss as we think about change. It's something that happen, happens to us often versus something we take control and empowering ourselves to do. Why do you think so many of us fear change? I don't fear it anymore. I had more changes in the last few years than I could have ever <laughs> bargained for, but I've learned to accept it and embrace it and, and kind of have that let go mindset and let, let things, you know, and I want to ask you, what do you, what's your viewpoint on it? Why do you think yeah, we're you know, to... this last year and a half has, has really um, <laughs> exactly. authored in a, a, new, a new lens of, of people's view on change. And often I think people are fear, fearful of the process, fearful of the failure. I think what it, you know, what uh, the last year and a half has also exposed is the noise that is created often in our minds and around us that was created, you know, two years ago and in the rest of our lives prior to COVID. <laughs> has now been quieted. Those voices that keep us there, that keep us safe, that now we're going to be judged in some way, shape, or form by doing something different. It's not only having to embark upon something different in the immediacy of either a pain point of one or wanting something new. It's also discovering all the stuff that we swept underneath the rug <laughs> for the rest of our lives just to get through. Thus, there's a fear that, am I good enough? Do I have the capabilities? What level of judgment am I going to be authored in by the environment? Oh, yeah, by the way, welcome social media to provide us that context if we ever get uh, too big-headed. Also, as I mentioned, all the things we swept underneath the rug. Because let's face it, Jason, right? How many people do we run into every day that say, oh, I just need to change this one thing and I'm perfect, right? I'm good. <laughs> I just need to change this one thing. It's only one thing. That's all I need. Just one. Typically, that answer is no. <laughs> that one thing is a result of maybe 20 or 30 things of the people, places, and things in our life, decisions we've made, the things we've skirted around previously just to get to this point, the things we weren't and haven't been able to let go, the things that have authored in our stability and our foundation. So, fear is a natural byproduct of embarking upon a journey that we don't know. And that unknown is worse and more scary than what I do know, because what I do know, while I may not like it, while I may want more, it's still a known and I know how to navigate it versus something and embarking upon a journey that I don't. And it all comes down to those things I mentioned of not knowing self, things we swept underneath the rug, our environment's trying to keep us there at every turn, 
and it takes more work to try to change it than it does achieving that one goal. Thus, you know, our fear is prominent within us. I'm just thinking about this. I gave you kudos because you have your PhD in industrial organizational psychology. When I was in college, I got my degree, my bachelor's in psychology. And if I hadn't gone to law school, I would have gone your route probably. I love okay what you can do and what you do and in terms of working with organizations and corporations and the, the workforce and stuff. And I want to ask, and of course, many other aspects of it. I wanted to ask you this. I know you've been specializing in the process of intentional transformation for 24 years. Have you, how do you work with people who have unintentional transformations occur in their lives as clients? Well, yeah, it, it, it happens a lot. And, and ironically, when I work with organizations, a lot of it is unintentional, ironically. Um, and when I say that, when I come into organizations, the intention is driven by a strategy from an executive level, whereby they're looking at a sheet of paper and they're looking at um, boxes that they're moving. They're looking at budgets. They're looking at ROI. <laughs> they are often one, the ones who are not changing behaviorally in doing anything. <laughs> the only thing that's changing for them is what shows up on their spreadsheet or how a strategy has been implemented. That unknown change for everybody else who doesn't know the change is coming, who may or may not have asked for it, but they're getting it anyway. <laughs> and as a result, my responsibility is to bring them along that change journey, recognizing they didn't ask for it. So in that respect, from an organizational standpoint, it happens quite uh, frequently and more than you would expect. But that's part of my role being there. As such, one of the chief responsibilities in that respect is, one, to just sit down and listen to them. They didn't ask for it, <laughs> right? Because often what's being uh, changed is something they may have thought about, but that's really not changing the heart of what people are really struggling with. So it's really getting them to me and the business and the, and the group who's actually embarking upon this change to art articulate what their feeling is on the things that we haven't solved for them to begin with. And now, once they feel heard, seeing how that integrates to what we are deciding is going to change in that respect. In that respect, it brings them along the journey of that particular change. It brings them along with the acceptance of around being engaged throughout that particular journey. In that, their voice is heard. It, they can stand up and say, here's what we're doing. It author, also authors in an opportunity to create two-way dialogue from an executive level all the way down to the organization. As oftentimes, one of the bigger challenges is just that level of communication of what is and what isn't, or the things that, um, as I mentioned earlier, that get swept under the rug, a la we have policies for certain things, and now we're going to start to enforce them. <laughs> and now that's when you start to hear the consternation and the challenge and the, and the concern and the fear, especially with employees, because guess what? Most of them just want to come in and do their jobs, go home, get their pay, go home. And be a move on with their lives, <laughs> you know, stay 25 years or not necessarily, you know, back in the day, but now people just want to be able to go to their job, go home and develop and then go on to another job. But that challenge of actually bringing in change where now I'm actually changing what someone actually does, which I, which they didn't ask for. <laughs> now we've got a challenge. That very challenge is what we've just embarked upon within the last year and a half. Like we didn't ask for COVID. <laughs> right? We didn't, no one asked for that in any respect. But what it did, it changed how we interact with our friends. It changed the way we interact with our environment. It changed the way we operate, even you and I connecting exactly. virtually. And now it's in that respect, it's the, oh, poop. 
what do I do? I can't go down to the store. I got to stay in my house for four, four, you know, around these four walls. I got three kids. What the hell am I going to do with them? I, my, my downtime is when I send them to daycare and when I send them to school, also known as maybe a daycare. To some people. <laughs> right Now I'm forced to, to embark upon a journey of where the actions of the noise muted the realities of where we were actually going and how I'm interacting with my friends, family, and even my children. And I've authored in an opportunity to say, how did I really set up the infrastructure for my life to begin with? Because oftentimes we hid behind the noise. We masked just uh, the activities just to get by. And I've found that the people who have been most apt and most uh, flexible throughout the COVID experience had a solid foundation where they just didn't have just one thing. Um, they just weren't um, run by what was being conducted by the environment and run by, hey, I'm now restricted. They were more apt to say, you know what? Okay, the rules of around me have changed. They've changed drastically. <laughs> yeah. Let me understand the rules that I'm playing in. Now let me see, where do I get now my enjoyment? Where do I now get my downtime if you have three kids? Where do I get their downtime so that they can have fun and play without racking my nerves or your nerves? <laughs> where do I now get the interaction of interacting with my family and friends in a way that's safe and conducive to now the rules of which we're now playing in? It's one of acceptance and creating and empowering ourselves to move forward, even though we didn't ask. What both the cultural environment of change of what we just experienced in COVID and our working environments of change that I bark on and speak on behalf of leaders all have in common. Number one, they have a commonality of my choice. I have a choice in how I respond to this. I can be held captive or I can empower myself to understand the rules I'm playing in and now make the best of a situation that, quite frankly, I did not ask for and putting myself in an empowering way that lends itself towards a more positive mindset to be able to move and navigate. Because guess what? The rules aren't changing. <laughs> COVID is not going away. Uh. This strategy is not going away in their organization. <laughs> so now I got a choice. <laughs> I could be miserable and complain not to the to that tilt, which is your right. It's your choice. It's far <laughs> be it for me to judge how you should react. Nobody likes a pity party, though. <laughs> exactly. Right? Well, no one well, wants I to get invited to one of them. <laughs> well, I don't want to be invited to any pity parties ever. Right? I'm sure you don't either. <laughs> but, and, and ironically, some of my job is to actually be at those pity parties. I know. You got to attend them. them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but once I hear the pity party, it's like, okay, now are we done? Like, are, are we done? Because now let's get it all out, right? Let's, let's complain till, goodness, let's have an entire pity party. But this is going to be a two-hour pity party. Let's get it out on the table. Now, if we can say we're done with that, now let's move forward to say how we're going to enjoy ourselves. Because guess what? None of this is curing cancer. COVID is about safety and people are getting sick and one can have a philosophy on the reasons, you know, there's lockdown and all that other good stuff for another podcast. But yeah. these are the rules we're playing in. Now, what rules do we now need to embark on? And let's have some fun. Because guess what? We only got one life. As I mentioned, and we started off with the book, our greatest ability is, evolve, is to evolve with or without our consent. And so guess what? If I'm going to evolve, it damn sure won't be because I'm mad. It's going to be with a smile on my face and say, let's go. And I'm going to take control of that. I'm going to say this. I want to die with a smile on my face. 
Yes. You know why? Because I want to live the best life I can live. And when it's time for me to go, I just want to be smiling. If I could do that, I accomplish my goals in life. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree. There's no better way than to have a smile. Like, you know what? It might be early, it might be late, but you know, if I have a smile, you know what? I can say I was enjoying myself. And that's, there's something to be said for that. I commend you for, for everything you're doing right now. I know in your intro, I had mentioned that you uh, have worked to coach people of color and women for expanded roles. And I commend you for that focus of my show deal with social justice and inclusivity and diversity and equality. And I wanted to ask you, how has that shaped you as an individual and as a leader within your own right with your organization? You know, it's, it's, it's really shaped me quite a bit. Um, you know, as an African-American male, while well, you, <laughs> looking at my skin complexion, probably not the darkest person in the world, um, clearly. But the reality is, as an African-American male in, in, in the U.S., you know, in, in the history of development and where we see diversity going, um, inclusive of race, gender, um, one's own sexual orientation, thought, it's really been an amazing journey, one of heightened awareness, of which I think COVID has enabled in certain ways, because I don't think we'd have the same level of visibility towards the such social justices, because we'd always have noise. As such, as a former leader, you know, one of the things that, and even as just as an employee in just about every organization I went into, quite frankly, it was always natural for me just to see how many Blacks, how many people of color were in the organization, just because you never, you didn't see it very often. And that told me a lot more about, you know, the relatedness that I would see or hear, the perspectives that I might probably get. And so from a shaping perspective, it really authored in for me a perspective of one, visibility of my own team to how I lead so they can see different example of leadership in certain ways or consistency of it. So there wasn't any di- anything different or new um, and not to be expected. But as I was coaching others as well, making sure that we were conscious of the diversity of thought, gender, and sexual orientation so that others can see themselves. It's extremely important to know that it's possible because it's, there's, again, um, we talk about um, this, this idea of, you know, of, of diversity as though it's something new and because we're always looking for our own relatedness. Well, guess what? That's all any leadership team is looking for. Do you have similar thought as me? Do you have similar experiences as I? It's no different than, a, than, a, than an intimate relationship with me and my significant other. How many uh, shared experiences do we have together? Because that creates the connection. That creates the likeness. That creates, yes, I am of one. Yes, I am safe. Yes, I am good enough. But if you don't see that, there, you don't see that safety. The society has taught us and has demonstrated over time that it doesn't, isn't necessarily as equal. And so as such, as we go into organizations and as when I'm talking to leaders, when I'm actually describing that development process, really harnessing the possibilities to say, there's two different aspects to look at when I'm coaching a diverse uh, person. The first thing is, what are we controlling ourselves? If I'm wholly and solely reliant upon an organization to be the defiant factor around my happiness and my growth, then I've already failed. I have now given them power over me and my direction of which, quite frankly, as my book is all about self-help and personal empowerment, quite frankly, then I haven't done my job as a coach for you. 
and you haven't done your job as a coachee to empower yourself. The second piece behind that is just because you know when you just because you don't see someone ahead of you that does not look like you or others that have a cap that might be higher, but there you definitely might see a cap. That does not mean there's a ceiling as much as there might just be a shorter runway. What is your runway here? What is your runway? And but also, where can you create your own experiences in your own lane? from a development standpoint within that organization, both internally or externally. What COVID has demonstrated to us is that we don't need to get that same mentorship or development at our own desk, our own places of work. We can get that from anywhere. Um, I think it's also what we see now, you know, you couple the diverse talent and the diversity ideas and philosophy of development that's percolated across our whole societal footprint is now being exercised on how people make their job choices that's been started you know, for the last 10 years. And that is that gig economy, right? Where people are now matching what they wanna do with the experiences that they're going to get in a moment, as well as the values of which that organization has. And so as such, and when I'm coaching leaders and when I'm coaching individuals from a navigation of their career, we're now afforded opportunities, again, that breaks down barriers, one, that we're, historically solely on silos in the organizations we were in and now extends beyond to a world where we are now brought into a perspective of more inclusion. I can't say we're there yet because one year and a half of of dialogue does not eclipse 300 years of of fight plus. Um, It takes uh, continuous focus and consistency of thought The true mark will be in five to 10 years from now. What does our workforce look like then? It's not right now when everything's heightened and the noise of the world is is, is at a a dimmer. It's when we're back out of COVID with whatever our new normals will be and our new frameworks will look like and our new routines will occur. What will our workforce look like then? What will our leadership look like then? What will the inclusivity uh, dialogue and programs look like then? That's where you will see the earmark of what did the last year and a half and the various social um, conversations we're having now, how have they really percolated and demonstrated themselves long-term? Do you view, I, I kind of view where we are right now as, as like a, a re- Revisit of the 60s in a way. Yeah. Revisit of the unfinished business of the 1860s, not the mm-hmm. 1960s. A yes. lot of us think 1960s. No. But in reality, this should have been fixed in 1865 with the Civil mm-hmm. War. And this should have been fixed with Reconstruction instead of allowing yeah. for Jim Crow and, and all the horrible century of terrorism that happened on our Black American, you know, African-American citizens during that time. And I just want to ask you, when you're looking at everything from your vantage point, because I think corporate America is powerful in so many ways to influence our society. And I wanted to ask you, when you look at your expertise and the organizations you work with, you work with some major corporate entities, Netflix and all these others. Mm -hmm. I I was going to ask you, like, do you feel that the power that our corporations have on our society economically and branding and just in general, do you think that they will play a pivotal role in implementing the changes we need as a society in order to have a more diverse and inclusive workforce of the future. Let's say workforce 2020. 
2030, I mean. I put yeah. work first, 2030 question mark, and leadership 2030 question mark based on what you said. And I was yeah. wondering, do you think that corporate America is going to step up to the plate and not just make some small, uh, let's just say tongue in cheek, oh, we're inclusive now. We're going to yeah. change. We're, you know, we're inclusive for, I'll give an example. We're inclusive for LGBTQ rights. We're going to put LGBTQ clothing at the front of our store mm-hmm. and we're going to wave those flags in June. And when July comes, well, we're back to where we were before. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, what do you, what's your viewpoints on that? Do you think corporate America is going to really get serious and make real change since you're very well qualified to talk about change? Yeah. You, you <laughs> know, it, it, it's, it's a great question. And, and, and my heart tells me I'm hopeful. Um, history has told me not likely. And the reason I say that is that it would have to take continuous dialogue. Here's in going back to my, my, my book intention and even just personal transformation and applying this to this corporate space. As I mentioned, one of the bigger challenges that people have is around sustainment. And the reason they don't sustain is because they don't have the right foundation. Or if they have the right foundation, they solve something one time and then they say they're done because they haven't integrated these behaviors into the new who they are. Or they say, hey, I just wanted to do it one time because it was, that one time was good enough. I've got been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It's no longer it's no longer a pain point or it might be a pain point, but it's not as strong as something else. Or as you mentioned, now that we've got, you know, the, you know, the new the, the, the LGBTQ pride T-shirts at the front of the store and we're waving our flag. Well, welcome to dollars and cents. <laughs> right now, we're spending money on on that, and they're making money on this stuff. Exactly. Now it's just a product. Now it's a commodity. And so, really, what's going to be important is that when we get out of the mode that any change means you've transformed. A change just means you've done it one time. Change means and true transformation means that I've you've built the capabilities to do this in different situations in different time. And if we had demonstrated from a societal perspective a lens or a, a capability, be it individually or organizationally, to be able to do that consistently, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Our dialogue would have evolved. But true to who we are as individuals and corporations. We will see this and say, yes, from a corporate social responsibility, we will have a program. Yep. Everyone's, you know, everyone's flashing their programs left and right. (laughs) Right. Like we got a program. We got a program. We got a program. Right. Um, How about the commercials you see on TV after, you know, when you, when you, when you turn on TV and and I I give, I give corporate America credit for what they're trying to do, but it's like, put your action where your, where your dollars are. Right make real change. Like I'll give you another example in Georgia, in January or Florida or any state you want to fill in the blank on where there's voting rights being, you know, really put in question and jeopardizing things. These corporations that put up these big commercials for Black History Month, Mm -hmm. are they really putting their money where their mouth is and pressuring governments to not allow these kind of laws to become enacted that will restrict our citizens' rights? I mean, that's what frustrates me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Jason. It's um you know and it, and it, and you touched on the right um right word, and it comes down to money. All corporations are about ROI. It's about dollars and cents. It's about the books. It's about how do we manage our shareholders. Our shareholders are a little bit different than who our customers are. Mm-hmm. If our shareholders um 
are okay with this, if we still have customers who are willing to come here, then we can deal with any level of backlash out there. And that's the and that has been our typical narrative for the organizations in our society that we're willing to deal with anything um, as long as we have a, still the strong backing. Now, with that with that said, we do to your very statement see a lot of of great efforts by organizations, you know, creating visibility. So it's not to diminish what what's been done, mm-hmm. right? Um, even with some of the, even though you were talking about it from a legal standpoint, from a voting rights perspective, which is disheartening in, in several states, we are starting to see organizations pull out of certain activities within certain states and starting to move things around. Um, we start to I'm see so proud of those people doing those companies doing that. I give them full credit and full yeah. support. That's I think you have to do some economic things as an entity to mm-hmm. effectuate transformation and change in our society when the people aren't doing it themselves. Absolutely. And and to your statement, that's where organizations can really step in. Where are they putting their dollars and where are they putting their cents? Um, Both in how they're, who their customers are, what the base is, while also looking at it from an internal employee structure of that diversity of not only thought, but also individuals and who they are as as people um, to being, being able to highlight that, you know, some companies are better at it than others, right? But it is a truly a journey. And do I see, you know, I'm very, um, again, from my heart, I'm optimistic this can be sustained now with the true influx of what we see on social media and, and the awareness. But as soon as our noise level starts to get back up, where the day-to-day li- our, our day-to-day lives become um, you know, more important than what we see on our TV or what um, we're fighting um, from a holistic perspective, when it becomes um, more important that now that I'm having to lose uh, certain things for the better good of the whole. And now I'm complaining. What are your now actions? Those are the things that I'm very cautious about. And that's where you see me looking, eh, I don't know, and less optimistic because history has demonstrated as you're talking about from civil war to now, heck, we won the war. I say, we, you know, you know, <laughs> we won the war America won the war, but America lost the battle. Exactly. And the battles right? are always happening. It's and a we battle think that, for the soul of our country. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, 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 something that we've, we've said, hey we've, hey, we've won that battle. Hey, that's great. We've got other battles to face. But, and we lose sight. And again, it goes back to our abilities to sustain this. Like, what have we integrated that now makes us truly transform to do something different, to think differently, to say that, just because we're creating efficiency across an entire organization doesn't mean that your job is now more efficient. It just means that you might have to do more work because up front you have to do more work <laughs> to make sure that the efficiency across the entire process. Our society has to think about that in a similar context. And But everything is, it's not fair to me. It's not, I'm having to go back or I should have and they shouldn't. Or there's that constant comparison. And Unfortunately, there's always a catch-up game. And when we start to get that feel comfortable, like, hey, you've caught up. Instead of, you know, $5, we've given you $7. Yes, and making progress. And then it's like, oh, we start to, you know, dwindle down the noise and that visibility. And that $7 stays 7 while the top tier goes from $10 to $18, <laughs> right? Just from a finance standpoint. So we just lose sight of it until it that dam breaks. And unfortunately it's, um, I don't know to what extent our visibility will be there in the next 10 years to 15 years, um, where we're at. 
I want to ask you about this and I'll go back to your book too. How did how did the George Floyd situation affect you personally and change your viewpoint, if at all, about transformation in America? You know, it's it's it didn't change my viewpoint. As an African American male, you see these stories have been there. It's just unfortunate that this individual died. As the nephew and, and grandson of police officers, I understand the trials and tribulations that they go through in putting their lives on the line. I understand and acknowledge that, quite frankly, they can walk out the door every single day and may never come home because they're intended to serve and protect. Thus, that heightened awareness and that visibility, acknowledging when you get in a situation like that, your energy is there. Now, putting that acknowledgement to the side for the moment and acknowledging the realities. What happened to George Floyd should never have happened. But such activities and such beliefs of what our societies go through, in particular, you know, um, African-Americans, African-American males in particular, those from other diverse backgrounds, all have preconceived biased notions against us where it's not safe. And that has always been the case. Like, so I, when I did my, my, my thesis, you know, for my, for my master's program, it was cross-racial facial recognition of emotions between blacks and whites. Wow, that's an interesting topic. <laughs> uh, and it was basically just judging facial recognition of emotions between blacks and whites and males and, and females. And as you expect, you know, people can read whites face facial expressions better. And, and then, but the least were African-American males. Right. Couldn't 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 read it because nobody nobody pays attention in that respect, because there's always a preconceived notion of when you see a black male, what is that going to be? Again, as a you know, growing up as a as a kid, having been falsely handcuffed and put in the back of a police car just because I. You were. Yes. Fit a description. <laughs> right. Thank God the people who made that description came like, oh, that that's not them. So it was an ID. So that was a very short experience. But still scary nonetheless, being put in that experience. That'd be horrifying. Yeah. But you know, you're just trying to grab something to eat. And and it's not, and this is on a college campus. You know, it's like, okay, it happens. And it happens more than we know. And and the judgments. And these are the extremes. And what's what's sad is it's we 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 fight for the extremes of the George Floyds because it takes someone to die for social justice. Someone shouldn't have to die for doing the right thing. Or better yet, he wasn't doing the right thing, right? He, there was something like, hold him accountable for what he did, but the death did not necessitate or beget his actual activity of what he was doing. As such, it shouldn't take me being put into a back of a cop car just because I might've fit a description. Oh yeah, by the way, just because I'm a black male on a college campus and just trying to find something to eat. And as such, it's those things that often go escaped by many. It's those instances that happen more times than not than the shooting deaths and the, and the, and the cop killings in that respect. Those things are sensationalized. That's why I say when we think about these next 10 years and 15 years, the deaths may go down. But what about the people who are just trying to get a better job from a development standpoint? What about someone who's just trying to grab something to eat and just happen to fit a description? just because they don't look like you. Those are the things. <laughs> uh, and I laugh in, a, in that uncomfortable laugh because it, those are the things that, that don't come up on, on newspapers. Those things don't come up in, 
on TV. Those things only come up when, oh, it's a one-off situation or, oh, we're going to let that stuff slide. And uh, it's unfortunate. And yeah. I'll just say this. That's a human respect thing. Mm -hmm. That's a human respect thing. When you see somebody and you prejudge them because of the color of your skin, that's a human respect thing. When someone doesn't have human respect, that deteriorates our entire society's cohesiveness. Yeah. How can you how can you invest in a society that doesn't that doesn't reciprocate its its investment in you? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you feel I, disillusioned, I'm sure. You feel like you when you go through an experience like that, I'm sure it it, it really does erode the base of of trust sometimes. And and yeah. and and that terrifies me in a way to think that we have a country that we live in where based on the color of your skin and where you're located, you may have these type of experiences any moment of your life just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time for yeah. where you are at a campus getting food. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that 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 it has to change. And yeah. I don't mean to, to bring it up during your interview, but it frustrates me because we're talking about transformation. And I think mm-hmm. in the social justice aspect of things, what, and I'll, I'll leave you with this question. What do you think society in a corporate context of your expertise needs to do to effectuate true lasting change? Let's say that 10 year mark you're talking about, let's say right. six years from now, we're going to be in a much brighter, brighter picture. Trump's in the rearview mirror for many years ago, many moons ago. And those red hats, we don't even know what they are anymore, but we're looking at a new political picture. People are more back to a, a moderate kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the true test is going to be what does uh, corporate America do? What does individuals do? How does human respect play into all of this? Yeah, it, it, it's huge. Um, human respect just plays a huge factor in all of this. But there, I think that we think about that human respect, it comes um, from, we often think about it as I respect you. As you talked about earlier in that idea of fear, fear comes to I respect myself enough that I don't feel threatened by somebody else. And in that respect, and drawing it now to your question of 10 years from now for organizations, it's building the infrastructure of what the foundations of what they're building on now. And for some organizations, they've already had it in place. I mean, I've worked with some really outstanding organizations where they've had some outstanding programs from a development standpoint, but they have to be carried forward at strength and visibility. For those that aren't, they're already lagging behind and now they're having to socialize themselves in a number of ways. So they're almost telling on themselves in a number of respects. But in that 10-year mark, these, this idea of diversity, of both thought and who people are and that true uniqueness is built into the fabric. So what does that look like from a talent development perspective? It's clarity on, number one, who's in your talent pipeline, both from a diverse standpoint of their backgrounds, from their race, gender, creed, religion. And let's not forget religion is also a um a, a an area that often comes into constant battle from a diversity standpoint of thought and belief and values the second thing i would say is in that integration from a talent pipeline is now who are how many moves have we made both um the integration so it's not seen as an us or them it's how many talent have actually trans- traversed across the silos within organizations because oftentimes it's I trust Ian because you know he's that he's you know I'm going to say it out loud is oh he's a token black guy, <laughs> right? Or he's a, you're a token person at that point. Or I got my one, <laughs> right? I got my one woman, 
or they combine them. Say I have a LG, you know, an LGBTQ woman. I'm good. <laughs> I'm checked two boxes. card. <laughs> right. You're, you're hired. I don't care what you do. Actually, uh, true story. Uh, someone interviewed me for a job the other other day. True story. And he said one of the require one of the things the organization was doing was looking to get more diverse African American, you know, diverse candidates and more specifically African American men within the organization. That told me more about them than it does me. It's like, okay, you probably wouldn't look at me um, without this, without that mandate. So it can't be a mandate if you have to actually say it out loud. So 10 years from now, if we're actually still having that conversation, then we've got a problem. 10 years from now, we've got to still continue having the momentum. So we have to track metrics around it to say, okay, how many people of color, how many women, how many people with diverse views? And, you know, obviously some of that, that can't be, authored in and created create awareness around because now you come into different lawsuits as such when i work for the equal employment office for the department of interior uh their minerals management service some i don't know 20 the 20 <laughs> uh, yeah the, over yeah a long time ago we kept track of these metrics because we had to know the diversity of candidates and people would file lawsuits all the time because they weren't getting the the second interview the third interview it can't. It, so we got to continuously track metrics as important organizations need to be showing up as true partners with our diverse with the community. So where are they showing up? Who's on their boards from a diversity standpoint? Who how are they partnered with different organizations? And I'm not talking about um, I'm talking globally, but also locally as well around those partnerships to get to that diversity of thought. So it's just not seen as, oh, we're just partnering with this one organization. I'm just partnering with 100 Black men of Los Angeles, and that's my, that's my one, and, we're, and we've checked the box. Or oh, we're sponsoring a, a, a child at this one school. Like, okay, what, what did you do over the last 10 years? Oh, you're creating a new pro, oh, you created mentorship programs. You created new internships. Okay, well, let's see those metrics. How many of those interns and those students did you turn into employees? How many or went on to do other things of which you can attribute success to? And oh, yeah, by the way, those metrics being tied to people's pay and, and, and all those things that we report on, just like we do all of our quarterly um, updates and reviews. And when we can treat it in that lens, where the value of who we are as people is as strong or stronger than the value we create or perceived to have in our dollars and cents. That's when I know we've made progress. And when organizations start to feel that as well, that's progress. Is that 10 years from now? (laughs) We haven't done it in 300 years, so I'm less likely to say yes. But we should be able to see sustainment and consistency around that. If we find ourselves here in 15 years having the same conversation based on the next George Floyd who died, quite frankly, that would be disheartening. You just said probably the most impactful statement I've had on my show in quite some time. And I do a lot of interviews. And I think the way you just harnessed that using your terminology, but the way you took that and portrayed it to me, it it shows true conviction. I mean, looking at the value of people versus the bottom dollar, looking Mm -hmm. at the metrics, real metrics. 
you know, are we seeing true equality of pay? Are we seeing increases of people being hired of color by your organization? Mm -hmm. Have you implemented policies to protect the diversity of thought in the workplace? Mm -hmm. No more tokenism. I I have close friends from high school when I was younger who was the token African-American student in my class in New Jersey, or who's the token fraternity brother in my organization from college. We had, I mean, it's, it's that we need to end tokenism. We didn't need to make it look like our society and not, you know, not have these little, you said the metrics of, oh, well, we donated to a child from an inner city school in LA. And here's our example of what we really did to commit, you know, we're committing to changes. Right. Can you come up here on the stage and accept this award? Or can you come up here on the stage and talk about this? Like, okay, I appreciate the one. <laughs> yeah. I, out of, you've got the one that you send to college for four years for 100K. That's great when you made. You got to do everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it's you bottom line. Word. You got to equal out everything. I mean, that's. And, and yeah. you're, an, you're I consider you an expert on transformation and change. You got your degree in it. You, mm-hmm. you studied it. You understand personal development. You understand psychology. So one of my. I, we're, we're actually running low on time, if you believe this. How fast oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It goes Good fast when we can discuss this type of a topic with this level of passion with you. And I appreciate the conversation, having a real talk with you about this, because, yeah. you know, within the context of your expertise and how you're looking at things, mm-hmm. is there anything you would say to anyone in our audience regarding transformation in their lives that you think would be important to note today for them to consider? That they may not have thought about before t- tuning into this episode. Yeah, I, I think there's 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 two things I would say. The first the first thing, and I and I and I truly do mean this. You're good enough, right? Don't don't think that you're missing anything. You are good enough as you are. Um, if you think you're missing something or you think you need something, that's a that's a more clinical diagnosis. And that's a clinical dialogue. But for your listeners in this demographic, you're good enough as is. You're playing now with house money and you're playing with choice. And in that respect, that means power. So understand that you do have that power. In that context, recognize that that we have this power. Sometimes we need to go back and we need to start from a foundation. And there's a quote that I often reference. It's by Niccolo Machiavelli. And it's in his book called The Prince. And it was actually going back uh, even further than you referenced in 1850s. He wrote that book in 1532. And in the quote, uh, or in this passage, he goes, uh, I'm going to paraphrase. He who does not lay his foundations beforehand may by great ability do so afterwards, although with great trouble to the architect and danger to the building. Recognize that you have a foundation of which you've already built. All transformations, I don't care who you are, are worth taking, but they do sometimes require us to go backwards and they will create some consternation. They will cause some angst. It will cause fear. It will cause anxiety, but it's going to author in a foundation for you and you risk. And although you might with great ability do so afterwards, you're going to risk trying to course correct all your foundation as you move forward and try to build and create consistency and sustainment because you didn't create that foundation ahead of time. And as such, as you start changing things, as just experienced in Florida, great danger to the building. It could come down as you start to change things. And unfortunately, that may be more daunting, more anxiety proof or proofing, creating more 
fear than you ever anticipated. So give yourself the benefit knowing that you are good enough. Secondly, give yourself the time to create a solid foundation. It'll be well worth it. I have to say two things. One, I love your message of empowerment, personal empowerment and societal empowerment. I also appreciate the fact that you can you can relay that in, in, in such a definitive way because you've dealt with adversity in your own context mm-hmm. in life. And anyone listening to our, our in our audience can relate to you because they know when you're dealing with your own adversity, even if it's just, even if it's whatever it is, societal attitudes or people interviewing you because they say, hey, we want to interview because we have to hire someone who's yeah, an African-American yeah. male and you fit the bill. Well, what about your credentials? And what about your experience? What about your passion? What about you? Right. You know, there's not one size fits all on these things, but I appreciate the fact that you're able to come on here and share the power of intention. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here and share it, but it's just not on the things that, uh, that we want. As you mentioned earlier, it's sometimes the things that we get and know that we have a good plan. <laughs> Absolutely. The path is the path. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. How can our audience find you? How do they get your book? Direct our audience to you so that anyone in the audience that wants to reach out to you, they can find you. Sure. Um, the number of ways you can reach out to me. We'll start with, first, you can go to my website. It's rhodesmith.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com. There you'll see this podcast we posted there along with different write-ups around my book, my coaching practice, as well as my group coaching that I do for leaders, as well as for individuals. You can also reach me via Twitter and Instagram at Dr. B underscore intention. There you'll see updates around my book, my thoughts around change, transformation, on a more real day-to-day basis, quotes that I have in mind, et cetera. As well, you can find the book on Amazon as well as Barnes & Noble uh, under Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. If you haven't seen a copy, here's a copy of it just in case (laughs) so you can see it directly from an evolution standpoint. There you'll see, find this uh, copy as well as an ebook version and a audio book version will be coming out here in the not too distant future. I want to thank you for coming on, but before we end the episode, I want to ask you, if you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? Ooh. If you want, I could go first. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it. I do this. No worries. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I, don't a good one. I go by owl. I like to say that I would be an owl. Obviously, if you look at my shirt, I have a bunch of two can two cans on today. I'm into birds. I have two parrots. You probably hear them in the background in the other room. Okay. I grew up with a parrot as a little kid. I have two parents as an adult. They got me through the pandemic with mental health, you know, just getting through this, being alone by yourself for a long time. And so I pick owl because I always have a quest for wisdom, even with the show or just in general. And I believe that owls are representative of that quest for wisdom. And I also look at things from a larger perspective, uh, spiritually and and just in general. So that's why I do owl. Yeah, no, I I think that's a a, a great one because it creates a a certain level, certain level of awareness that, uh, yeah, uh, from an owl perspective. So I, what would be my spirit animal? You know, I, I I don't know if it's truly a spirit animal, but I would I would say because it just resonates with me given a show I recently watched. I would say the wolf. Okay, it's a leader, but also run they run in packs. They're demonstrating and modeling while also acknowledging that some part of our survival is that individual journey, while also feeling that sense of connection. They can be feared, while also loved. They can be trained while also being fiercely independent. They can be fearful 
but they also can be pets. I think uh, that really reflects, in my mind, the journey we take in transformation, knowing that it's an individual journey and path, one that no one else can walk for us. But in that journey, realizing that there's others around us. And I know I've had my journey and my path, which has extends to, to today and extends beyond anything I can imagine. And it does not end now. But that does not mean I'm doing it alone. So I would say wolf. I love that. I, I appreciate you you coming on the show and sharing your viewpoints on this important topic and even our, you know, our amazing conversation about social justice issues. I appreciate your insight and and I feel very very strongly connected to your 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 book and and what it's relaying to our audience about the power of transformation and intention and and how to how to make those things happen. No, thank you for having me, Jason. It's a wonderful conversation and both about the book, but also the social justice uh, movement and where we are today, how we got here, and even what we perceive will happen in the future. So uh, let's cross our fingers and um, do our own work and let's see, let's see what happens. Excellent. I appreciate you being on here and doing all this. So thank you. Yeah. I just want to thank Dr. Brooks for coming on the show today and sharing his, his insights and experience on this very important topic of intention. His book is it's intention building capabilities to transform your story. It integrates research, practical experience, and his own personal journey, as well as seeking to guide readers toward introspection and action. I, I like Dr. Brooks's message because he lives what he does. He lives by his example, and he's been through his own experiences, and that's what helps shape who he is. And so, each of you in the audience. I wholeheartedly hope that when you listen to this interview, you can remember that you are good enough. You have what it takes. You can transform positively in your life with the power of intention. Check out this book. Look at it, read it, study it, understand it. Because this book was created by somebody who put the work and the labor into it his entire life to help make it digestible for each of us. So review this information because true change comes from within. It comes from mindsets, paradigm changes and conviction and passion. And if we have all of those within ourselves, we can truly change not only ourselves, but society. Check this stuff out. As Dr. Brooks has said, he's on Twitter and I'll put the, his contact information in the show notes for the uh, show, as well as the website and where you can find his book. I thank you for tuning into this episode. Stay positive because when you stay positive, anything's possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast 
where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. 